Hey, 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 guys. Welcome to Building This Community. This is your city business and policy development podcast. We're your hosts, Luke Patrick and Andrew Klump. Welcome to this week's episode of Building This Community. Our guest today is Dan Issel, who is one of the greatest basketball players in the University of Kentucky history, uh, all-time leading scorer, and he also played for the Kentucky Colonels in the ABA. Uh, Dan, thanks for joining us today. How are you? I'm terrific. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be on with you. So, Dan, I gave a brief background on how your playing career and how you're a current Hall of Famer, but can you give us some insight into what you got into after you hung up the sneakers, especially how you became involved with the NBA to Louisville movement? Sure. I, um, after I retired as a, as a player with the Denver Nuggets, uh, I did about everything you can do uh, with a Nugget organization. I was uh, assistant and general manager. I did the color on the, uh, on the television broadcast. I was uh, head coach on two occasions and uh, was general manager and president of the organization for a while and retired from uh, from the Nuggets uh, in the early uh, 2000s. And uh, then I opened up a, a business in Colorado. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a business that uh, disposes of water that comes up in oil and gas wells mm-hmm. and uh, of course you have to be very careful in in how you dispose of that water but i sold that company about 2 years ago and uh, and really wasn't uh, wasn't doing anything when i was uh, approached by a group here in louisville uh, that thought the uh, that the uh, opportunity to uh, acquire an nba expansion team was close and uh, uh, not doing anything in colorado and uh, having our ties to Kentucky basketball, it, it sounded like a fun project, and it, it certainly certainly has been uh, a, a fun project to work on. Well, it sounds like you're a pretty good fit for this too, right? So, you know, not just a, a player, but a coach, and you've been around the league for, for such a long time that you probably have the connections. Yeah, absolutely. And with all of that going on and everything the movement's doing, what do you see the benefit of bringing an NBA team to Louisville uh, what do you think that would do for our city? Oh, uh, where, how much time do I have? As <laughs> much as you want, Dan, as much as you want. <laughs> it would be so important uh, to our our Commonwealth and, and our city uh, economically, uh, socially, uh, image-wise, I, I think I, I'd start by looking at uh, the larger cities around us. Uh, there was a time when Louisville uh, was the same size, if not bigger, than cities like Indianapolis, since. Cincinnati and Nashville. And uh, if you look at those cities, they have, uh, in in my estimation, uh, with their growth and the things that are going on there, have, have, have kind of gone ahead uh, of our city mm-hmm. and uh, you know there are numerous reasons for that but if you look at those cities all of them have multiple professional teams uh, and so uh, we're close 
we have a lot of great things going on in Louisville. The, uh, the convention center being renovated, all the new hotels down downtown. Uh, the Bourbon Trail has, has certainly gained attention, uh, if not nationally, internationally. And, uh, and so it would certainly help uh, our image. Secondly, financially, uh, you know, we, we lose a lot of our bright young people uh, to other areas, other states, other, other communities uh, when they're looking for employment. And uh, uh, having a professional basketball team in, in the Commonwealth would make uh, recruiting uh, companies much easier. Uh, we'd be able to, uh, to keep our young people, some of our young people at home. And then socially, uh, you know, the, the, the league and the teams do so much for the community. Uh, the league has NBA cares. Every NBA team uh, has their own uh, community uh, ideas that they that they like to work on and 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 favorite charities that they get aligned with, and then almost every player has his own foundation uh, that he gives back to the communities. So there's just so many positives uh, with having one of the professional sports franchises in your town and in your state. Well, and I think the thing that you picked up on there more that, that I, that I believe has been left out of the conversation a lot um, is the NBA cares aspect of the NBA in that, you know, right now we have Rondo and, and other people that are from this area already come out and do charity work or buy grocery for people or, or other charitable acts uh, in the city. But, I mean, do you think with, with everything that's ongoing right now uh, throughout the country, do you think that the NBA Cares would be kind of a great bridge to help men racial and social justice uh, issues that are happening in this country? Uh, no, no question about it. Not only NBA Cares, but like I said, all of, all of the players – uh, ha have their own uh, charities, their own charitable foundations that they do work in the communities uh, that they play in. Uh, you may not know this, but it is required contractually uh, mm -hmm. of every player in the NBA to make a certain number of community appearances uh, on behalf of the team. Now, that, that doesn't count the ones uh, that that they get paid for, uh, you know. Say uh, say a bank wants to have one of the players come and sit in the lobby and and sign autographs for two hours. They're compensated for that, mm -hmm. but they're also required to make non compensated appearances in the community. And uh, you know, some some do it better than others. Some uh, some only do it uh, on the two or three times that they're required to do it. But a lot of them. Really Really get involved in, in the community uh, because you know a lot of these players were in the same place as some of these youngsters are when they were growing up. So there, there's no question that having an NBA team is a great community partner. Well, Dan, I, I think those are great examples of what an NBA team and NBA players can do for our community. But moving on to talk about how we can actually get these teams here, what what type of person do you think an NBA team is looking for in terms of owners or, or an ownership group? Like, like who fits that mold? 
Yeah, you know, uh, it's interesting. When I first uh, took this position, I, I thought finding somebody, and, and, and when we first started this, uh, we thought we were talking in the range of $1.5 billion, uh, anticipating a billion-dollar fi- uh, uh, fr- franchise fee uh, and about uh, $500 million to get a team up and running. Uh, I, I'm not so sure it might not be a little bit more than that. And and so coming into this, my primary concern was where, where are we going to find that person? Uh, but now that's one of the least of my concerns because we have seven different groups and individuals under non-disclosure agreements, uh, people that are interested uh, in in owning a, a professional sports franchise, uh, and and the the problem is, or not the problem, the challenge is that when we start talking to these people, of course, the first question they ask is, "That sounds great. When is it going to happen?" And you know, we can't give them a timeline, uh, and and so th- that they lose interest a little bit, uh, not not in the project, but in the in, in how how quickly they have to act. And so uh, we obviously the NBA is looking for owners uh, that are very sound financially, that can uh, can handle a downturn, much like we're experiencing right now. The owners in the NBA have lost a lot of revenue in the last six months. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're, lo- they're looking for a strong financial commitment uh, that can, uh, you know, keep the team going, even if there are some setbacks. And, and I'm, I'm quite confident when we have our opportunity to present our case to the NBA, we'll be able to come up with that with that ownership uh, group or, or person pretty quickly. So, and I think, I think that makes a lot of sense, but so I've heard you say in the past, you know, you want Louisville to be next in line, you know, first on, on the pile uh, with the, our application. Uh, so what does it mean to be uh, ready and to be ready for expansion? And what does that look like? Yeah. Well, uh, first of all, uh, what what will the way that it'll happen is if and when and and by the way the the NBA's position right now is that expansion isn't on the table but uh, I, I know a little bit about how the NBA works and and that'll be their position until the day before they start taking applications so if and when the NBA does expand uh, there will be applications and there will be plenty of competition uh, for uh, work assuming two new franchises uh, some of the more prominent cities you hear mentioned is Seattle and, and uh, Las Vegas and and Mexico City and, and Kansas City so there there will be competition and you will get a chance to present your case and so uh, obviously a NBA ready arena is is of uh, uh, high importance and uh, community support, uh, is also uh, of, of, of a great deal of importance. They have to know that the people in that community are interested in having an NBA team uh, in their city. And so uh, what, what we're doing now primarily uh, until we get a chance to make that application is to build support through different programs. And we have a lot of uh, very talented people on our board and on our committees that are working in that direction. 
direction. And uh, I think, uh, as you said earlier, when given the opportunity, I think we'll be able to make a pretty compelling argument that uh, the NBA belongs in the Commonwealth. Well, I think you you made some great points there, especially bringing up that we have uh, an arena that could easily accommodate an NBA team right now. But aside from that, does Louisville need to do anything to prove it's ready for expansion? Do you think there's anything we could do to better situate ourselves for that? Well, what we would like to do is uh, we have uh, a, a very professionally made uh, website. Uh, Lisa Siebert, who uh, is on our board, owns a, a local company called Mightily, and, and she and, and her team uh, designed a, a, a new website for us that's been up for about a month or six weeks. It, it's NBA to Lou, NBA, the number two, L-O-U. And uh, there are ways there to get involved. We have an ambassador club, uh, which has uh, a fee involved uh, with some pretty good perks, we think. And there's also uh, uh, what we call the uh, NBA to Lou supporter, which is free. And uh, if you just uh, sign in with your email, you'll get our uh, our, our uh, quarterly newsletters and any updates that we have. And so, uh, you know, we'd like to encourage as many people to sign up uh, as as supporters so that we can use that number when we go to the NBA. So uh, since you brought up the, the ambassadors program and the supporter so- section, is the supporter section new? Is that something that, that's been recently developed? I know, obviously, uh, NBA Lou's looking for some of the, the fees and the financial assistance and, and what you all are doing to, to get your program uh, operating or continue operating. What is, how long have you had the supporter group? And, and what, what are you trying to showcase, I guess, from having the, the ambassador and the supporter group? Well, if, if you go to the website, there's there's three different levels on the Ambassador Club, and you're right, the supporter is, is new because we knew that uh, not everybody would have the financial wherewithal to, to be involved. Uh, the top level is the Lifetime Insider, and that uh, – that is three hundred and fifty thousand. Excuse me, three hundred and fifty dollars, uh, and and that will, uh, you know, there's all kinds of benefits. We we recently, one of the things that the, the bourbon industry has really gotten behind us, and uh, we've uh, had several distilleries uh, support us with a, a, a barrel of bourbon, which we've been able to bottle uh, with our own medallion or label on it. And and, uh, and and get out to our supporters. So the 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 most recent one was a Weller Foolproof that uh, came out of Buffalo Trace, and we were able to sell our first 125 Lifetime Insiders that bottle at uh, cost, which was eighty dollars. And if you go if you go to the secondary market. That bottle right now is selling for three hundred and fifty dollars. So those those hundred and twenty five first time uh, signers for the lifetime, uh, you know, if they choose to sell their bottle and a couple of them have, they paid for their membership for their lifetime membership mm-hmm. with a bottle of bourbon. <laughs> the, the annual insiders at one hundred and twenty five. 
uh, the super fan for a hundred and third, or excuse me, for thirty dollars. And uh, if you go to the website and uh, and look at the ambassador club levels, uh, you'll be able to see all the uh, perks. Uh, that are included with those memberships and of course the supporter group for free getting the the quarterly uh, newsletter and updates uh, is on there as well. Well, that's awesome. I mean, who doesn't like Weller bourbon? That's a, that's a great choice in my <laughs> personal belief. But uh, you mentioned earlier, I, I heard you talked about some of the other cities that, that are uh, routinely in the discussion for expansion uh, possibilities. Uh, is there any conversation uh, between the group that's trying to bring the NBA to Louisville and, and maybe uh, potential ownership groups in those cities like Seattle, Vegas, uh, even Mexico City? Is there, or is there any possibility for like a dual pitch or, or if there is conversation, is it more adversarial? Uh, there is, to, to answer your question, there is no conversation. Uh-huh. And if there was, it might it might be adversarial. <laughs> I'll give you an example. Tim Tim Lewicki, uh, who was president of the Denver Nuggets the first time I was coached there, uh, Tim and I were really close friends for a number of years. And Tim is now working with the Oakwood Group. Uh, and that group is the is the arm that has been given uh, the ability to upgrade uh, the key arena in Seattle, uh, spending hundreds of millions of dollars upgrading that facility. Uh, and also um, they have uh, been awarded a hockey, an NHL hockey franchise for starting in the 21-22 season. And I've called Tim a couple of times since I got this job uh, and uh, thinking that, you know, Tim was a good friend of mine and he, he won't return my telephone calls. So I, I don't think there would be uh, <laughs> much reason to talk to, uh, to talk to the other cities. Uh, you know, we want to keep our cards close to the vest and make sure we can, uh, we can make them the best, the best, uh, the best presentation we possibly can. That seems to make sense, Dan, because if you're competing with other cities, you don't really have too much of an incentive to work with them because it could ultimately set you up for a double cross or someone backdooring you out of the deal. So I think the way that you all are are proceeding with this seems to make sense. Bring it back home a little bit more though. So the arena, you talked about how Seattle, they upgraded their arena. Um, Our arena is ready to go. But there's still that tricky lease with the University of Louisville. Uh, do you think it's an issue to get it uh, for currently, or if like renegotiation? Do you think that would be palatable with U of L if you know, say, an NBA team is knocking at the door? Yeah, uh, you know, the the Yum Center was designed and built. Jim Host, uh, who who kind of headed up that uh, Yum Center project, uh, told me on several occasions that it was designed and built with the idea that it would someday house an NBA team. And so uh, the, the the arena is uh, would automatically be one of the top 10 arenas in the NBA. It, it's spectacular. It has all of the amenities an NBA team would want, including, and I don't know if a lot of people know this, 
a practice floor on on the same level, and that's very important because you know an NBA team would be practicing when there are other events taking place in the arena. So uh, it, it's a great arena. That the U of L question is interesting. Uh, I, there would have to be some negotiations with the lease they have, uh, but the, the Yum Center would certainly welcome uh, 41 more dates a year, a minimum of 41 more dates a year, uh, to help with the financial situation there. And and I'm I'm pretty positive that uh, that something could be worked out uh, if if and when we we need to talk to U of L. Uh, about access to the Yum Center. Well, and, and to that, right, the NBA is talking about, especially because of coronavirus, they've already pushed back their season with their bubble and everything. But now they're talking about potentially starting next season around Christmas Day and maybe making that the permanent start date. Do you think that alleviates some of the scheduling issues with U of L? You know, there are there there would be no scheduling issues with U of L. U of L men's and women's uh, play at the very most twenty dates a year, uh, and and you look at uh, there are numerous arenas around the country that host both NBA and NHL teams. Uh, the the arena. Uh, the Staples Center in L.A. has two basketball teams and a hockey team. And, and so uh, over a six-month NBA season, uh, there would be plenty of dates uh, to, to be able to, uh, to house the University of Louisville men's and women's teams and an NBA team. So the scheduling uh, would not be a problem. It would just be if uh, – you know, if U of L was afraid of the competition that an NBA team would bring, and and you know we have reams of data. Uh, the uh, Greater Louisville was very kind. A few years ago, uh, we were on a list of preliminary sites for the uh, new Amazon uh, building, and uh, and and Greater Louisville has shared all the information that was gathered at that time. And uh, I, I can tell you that there is no doubt that the Commonwealth can support all of the college teams that have very successful programs here and an NBA team. So, Dan, I want to talk about naming rights for a second. We see other cities that do have NBA teams in their arenas. They're able to generate a lot of competition and derive a ton of revenue from from those naming rights. Uh, at Louisville, we do okay with our naming rights, but what do you think our negotiating position would be like if we were to fill our stadium with an NBA team? Yeah, yeah I, I think it, it's very it, it's very interesting. Uh, the naming rights on on arenas and uh, stadiums and and all kinds of facilities for that matter i think uh, companies are starting to realize you know how beneficial that is and and i think it all started when media uh, newspapers radio and tv uh, started started using the name of the arena in their announcing and in their writing. Uh, you know, for when it first started happening, 
I remember in Denver uh, when we built the Pepsi Center, uh, for a while, you know, people wouldn't call it the Pepsi Center. The, on TV, they'd say uh, the Nuggets Arena or in the newspaper. <laughs> One guy even called it the can. But, uh, <laughs> but then the attitude kind of changed, and now it's kind of second nature that everybody uses the name of the arena in their reporting. And so, uh, you know, I think the Yum, the Yum Corporation got an unbelievable bargain for what they paid for the naming rights on, on the Yum, Yum Center. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if it was discussed because it was the University of Louisville, the major tenant, that it was more a regional thing. But, uh, uh, you know, having your, having your name on an arena is very beneficial nationally. And uh, so I, I would think with an NBA team, the next naming rights uh, uh, contract would be much higher than it is now. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Dan, well, uh, we appreciate you taking the time. We got two f- final questions here for you before uh, we let you go. Uh, the, la- the, se- the first one is, are, you kind of mentioned the ambassadors program and the, the supporter program are there any other ways to get involved or is that the, the main promotion that you all have at this point um and, no, and what, what should people be doing always, yeah no we're always looking for people to help but we now we have three different committees uh, associated with nba to Lou. one is our ambassador committee one is our marketing committee uh that's headed up by eric gunderson uh nick Phelps up the ambassador committee, and then we haven't we haven't talked about our Legends Golf Tournament that we have every year. Uh, that is headed up by Seth Eaton, and we have like twenty four different local companies that support our our Legends Golf Tournament. And so a- anybody who's interested in working on one of those committees, we we'd love to have you and again all you have to do is uh, go to the go to the website it talks about the legends golf tournament and how you could uh, get involved there or so there's there's a lot of different ways it's all on the website and and we invite anybody who wants to help us out uh to to please do so well, uh, we, we really appreciate you coming on to talk to us today. And, but one final question we'd like to ask all of our guests before we let them go. Uh, if you could change one policy in Louisville, uh, one, one aspect of Louisville, what would it be? Um, you know, that's, uh, that's a great question. And, uh, and I think I'm not sure it's a policy as much as it is an attitude. I, I know you all have been uh, supporters of bringing the NBA to Louisville, but for some reason, and, and I don't know why, but Kentuckians kind of have an attitude that, you know, we, we can't do that. You know, we're too small. We don't have enough money. We, we, you know, reason after reason as to why we can't do things. And I mentioned before, I just drove through Nashville this past weekend. I, I stopped counting the number of cranes at 12 that were building high-rise buildings. There's no reason why Louisville and Kentucky were such a, a, a well-kept secret. This is a great state and a great community, and, and, and our leaders 
and our business community needs to roll up their sleeves and quit saying we can't do that and instead say, by golly, let's go to work and get this done. Dan, I couldn't agree more with you. And I felt like you were just giving the city a little bit of a pep talk like you were, you know, the coach of the Denver Nuggets. So <laughs> yeah, that, that was a great point. <laughs> we we, we, we can do this, and there, and there are so many. As I said earlier, we, we're so close. Andrew, I have a dear friend uh, who is – his father was my academic advisor when I was at UK, so you can imagine what a, an impossible task that was. But anyway, his son uh, now – is the head of the Atlanta Convention and Tourism Department. And he called me shortly after I took this job, and he said, you know, you're on to something. He said, with with Louisville's facilities, the bourbon trail, the horse racing, he said, we're finding Louisville to be more and more competition for the conventions we're, we're trying to draw to Atlanta. So we're, we're not that far away. We just have to we just have to take that next step and convince ourselves that we can get it done. You're right, Dan, and one or two things, and I think we'll be on that national stage with, with Atlanta and everybody else. Well, Dan, we really appreciate you you stopping on here today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for coming by. Thanks for talking to us, Dan. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure. We'll pick back up with our reaction segment after a word from our sponsor. That was a great interview with Dan. I love that he hit a myriad of topics that he doesn't really necessarily hit when he's been on other radio shows. What were some of the things that you kind of took away? I think the thing that maybe stood out most, uh, his answer to our final question, essentially he he was saying to me that Kentucky has a self-image problem. We don't see Mm. ourselves as a state that can sustain, you know, major business or pro sports team. And, And I think that's true. You know, I personally have fallen victim to that kind of thinking. You know, as a state, Kentucky often languishes like at the bottom of most lists that you'd like to be at top of. And, uh, you know, if we could bring in a pro sports team, I think it would start the process of reforming that self-image. Well, that changes our confidence. And that changes our image nationally too, right? Yeah, it immediately makes us not just national, but an internationally recognizable city in some Yeah. And and I think the other thing that's also important with that too, is I think truly that the self image around us being able to handle an NBA team has changed. I think Dan and that support group has really turned the tide on that in the city of Louisville and the state of Kentucky. I think people genuinely want that now. So I think he's done a great job with it. The other thing that I was very impressed with in that response was just the passion in his voice that you can tell that he cares so much about the state and wants to see it succeed that you need that kind of driving force when, when you have any type of, any type of social movement uh, or business movement. And this is, this is just one of them. So I'm glad to see that even though he's normally even keeled, I'm glad to see the, the passion that he had there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you've been following the conversation around NBA to Louisville, uh, you've definitely heard Dan speak. I mean, he's been the face of it since, since uh, you know, pretty much the get go. And I think, uh, he's done a great job. I really loved what he had to say today. Yeah, and getting more into that social aspect, I'm very glad to hear they're doing the supporter uh, 
position as well, in addition to the paid ambassador program position that you can kind of, that you can sign up for. So that's something that I think they've missed for a while. And I know it's been a slow development. Like they've had to organize, they had to bring in investors, they had to do everything. And then they launched the ambassador program and then they launched the, the supporter uh, program. So it, it's definitely been a slow rollout. It's been strategic. Um, but the thing that I think is really important is really connecting to the community. And I think part of that is, and you know, you know a little bit about my background, how I had resolutions passed by nine different cities. And then with Louisville, Metro Louisville one uh, makes it 10 where it was just different municipalities trying to support an NBA team coming to Louisville. And I think that kind of stuff where we get social support, legislative support. Maybe we get events where we can get tons of pictures with huge amounts of NBA Louisville fans. Those types of things are supplemental to what Dan and, and the group are doing. And I think they're invaluable when trying to lure uh, an ownership group or kind of talk to the NBA. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think uh, you honestly did some great work when you were working on that, uh, bring the NBA to Louisville initiative for Audubon park and, and trying to expand it into all the different municipalities, mm-hmm. you know, located in, in Jefferson County. Uh, I think I, I wish I, I knew, I wish I had some kind of crystal ball to know when the decision is going to be made for expansion to know yeah. when the, you know, this is on the horizon. I, I think it happens at the end of the next CBA deal, which I believe is 2025. That's, that's what everyone's saying. And I, I understood when Dan was talking about uh, potential investors being slightly hesitant because he, he can't guarantee a date. Mm-hmm. I, I get that. But the thing that we have going for us, and it was talked about all throughout the interview, we've got the arena for it right now. And, and, and he, as he said, it wouldn't just be an NBA arena. It would be one of the best like yeah. coming right off the bat. You know, the second a team moves in. There. Well, now with that said, they would have to do some renovations to, I think, make the broadcasting a little bit more suited towards the NBA, which I think is very minor. And I think they would also uh, – they're under the number of the average number of suites for an NBA arena. So they would have to add more and probably reduce capacity, but, but the arenas, the Yum center is too big right now as it is. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about like minor remodeling stuff. And and when you, uh, when you compare that to building a fresh arena and the amount of public resources that go into that, I mean, we saw what went into building the Yum center in the first place and we're not capturing nearly the revenue that we could if we were to fill that, uh, with an extra what, 41 guaranteed games in an NBA yeah. with an NBA team in there, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that means that there are more nights of the year that we guarantee revenue for the city. Mm-hmm. And when we have this massive expenditure, that is the yum center already on the books. I, it only makes sense to do everything you can to try and drive a team into that or, you know, into that space. Yeah. And, and if you're adding the suites, like I mentioned earlier, that that's going to make the concerts you have, more valuable. That's going to make exactly. all the games you have more valuable. Yeah. So the investments that they would have to put into it would be strategic and would be beneficial generally. Yeah. Um, no, I, no question. And I think the, the thing that has been overlooked for a long time in this discussion that Louisvillians really need to recognize, and I'm glad Dan brought it up, was the naming rights. We're yeah. looking at the cost uh, or what we're getting from Yum is – 13.5 million over 10 years. 
which at the time was a decent deal, like was, I think, market rate. But the issue is we're a regional arena. And so because there isn't an NBA team, as these numbers have just skyrocketed over the last 10 years, we're going to miss out when it renegotiates, at least in my opinion, because right now most of these teams were on 20 year deals and they went from close to what we had to now you're having 10 teams that are making at least 6 million per year. A couple of which were almost insane with Toronto getting a 20 year, $639 million deal and the golden state warriors getting a 20 year, 300, 400 estimated uh, deal. So, but most of them are making between, you know, four to 7 million, which is almost half of what we're making over the course of 10 years. No, absolutely. And they're doing that per year. And so that's the issue. We're just going to miss out on so much money because we just can't, compete on that national international branding stage, which Dan mentioned was so important. It it only stands to reason. I mean, if you're a major corporation and you've got advertising dollars to throw around, would you rather have your name on a college basketball arena or an NBA basketball arena? Mm -hmm. And we're talking about the same arena, but the, the price you're willing to pay there's a clear premium for it being an NBA arena. You're getting Mm -hmm. so much more national exposure. It just, it, it, I think it pays dividends for the city if we're able to attract that team. Yeah, agreed. You know? Agreed. And and so then you have all of that. You have the arena money for with the new suites and, and making it more financially stable. And then you're also adding the jock tax, right? Where you're essentially yeah. getting all these different NBA players, what, close to 15 per team, plus all the assistants. You're getting almost 20 millionaires added just living in this city. Well, overnight it goes beyond that even you know Mm -hmm. if you're if you're talking about revenue for the city if if another nba player so lebron james if lebron james whose salary is just gaudy uh Mm -hmm. plays plays a game in kentucky kentucky captures some of that revenue players are played on a per game basis and if their game is played here we get to capture that tax revenue and and a lot of people don't know that Mm -hmm. but that just adds to you know the the known financial incentives to try and make this deal happen. Yeah, and I think that's it's just it's too big of a pie to miss, and that there are so many needs of this city that 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 amount of money could go towards and help. Yeah, but then it's also the other aspect, the the flip side of then it changes our branding as a city nationally and internationally. And so Dan hit it on a little bit with the bourbonism and the derby, but ultimately an NBA team has four, at least 41 nights a year of games plus playoffs that you just get to be on national and international television. And that will just draw people and businesses to come here. And we've talked about fringe benefits on numerous episodes, right? That ultimately the way cities compete now for businesses, yeah, subsidies are still part of it, but having the fringe benefits of professional sports, a botanical garden, an aquarium, or a zoo, yeah, like all these different talent things. to your city. Yeah, and that's what. But know? businesses are looking for those types of things for their employees, for their employees' happiness. It's, a, you, it's a quality of life thing. People yes. want to live in, in a metropolitan area. That that's the 
there's been a lot of immigration into those types of areas mm. over over the last few decades and and it it only makes sense you know if you're looking from a long-term business planning perspective you want to make your city attractive an nba team does mm. that and so it's it is just an amenities request yeah right and ultimately i think what we're getting back to now is, is the people, the people are just so important with this. And I think I love that Dan addressed the, the potential for, for social and racial justice being uh, potentially healed by some of the things that the NBA does. Um, and I love, I, I, I think NBA cares is often overlooked. Maybe many people don't really care that much about it, but I think it would make a substantial impact in our community. Well, I really hope so. And I mean, you see player engagement in, in, in their communities and the impact that it can have. And uh, th- I just don't see, uh, there's not a drawback in my eyes mm-hmm. to, you know, bringing in that type of person. You know, they, they all seem on top of the, like Dan mentioned, the contractual obligation to make some of these community uh, appearances. You, you see players going way beyond you know what, what's stipulated in a contract and really trying to do what they can to uplift mm-hmm. communities especially you know generally oppressed communities the nba in particular is really trying and this is this is the parallel that i love is that the nba in particular is really trying to push their players to be more like muhammad ali right they are trying to have them be both great elite athletes that have name recognition all over the world and then do something with that platform. They're trying to empower those players to do the same thing. Now, some of the policies they do, uh, they can still be a little bit of controlling. That's still the classic, uh, you know, owner versus player issue, or I guess they're governors now. But ultimately, I think they are the most progressive as far as empowerment goes of any of the leagues. And I think that would be a great fit with the history Muhammad Ali kind of played in our city. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, like NBA compared to NFL uh, in the way that they've treated recent social justice movements, mm-hmm. I don't think there's any question. I, I'd provide, I'm standing on the side of the NBA on that yeah, one. Yeah, and, and so I think one thing that's important is, and this goes back to the supporter section a little bit earlier, is that we have to connect. I, I'm glad the NBA to Lou group is looking at connecting more to the community, but we've got to connect – to all parts of our community if you really want to showcase for the NBA. So I, I would love to see Dan Issel or the group maybe support uh, the Dirt Bowl, like one of the most historic basketball tournaments in the country that happens in Louisville every year. And just seeing how we can use the community here. And maybe I'm biased because that's really what I push for from that resolution perspective. But ultimately I think using the community to showcase our, our basketball ravidness here is something that nobody else can show and that we can really, really put ourselves in a position to attract an ownership group and attract the NBA. Yeah, no, I mean, I think you get the community engaged. It's only going to amplify the message and it's going to make uh, our pitch that much stronger. I think that's, mm-hmm. I think you're exactly right. Mm-hmm. What, what did you think about the uh, work, not working with other cities at this point? I, it makes sense. Uh, I, I, yeah. I, in my head, I maybe would have pictured that we'd had some kind of communication with the other cities. Uh, it, just because I, there are so many cities that are hungry for an NBA mm-hmm. team, but I, it, it 
it's kind of like uh, you don't want to you want to keep your cards close to your yeah. chest. You, you don't want to share if you have some kind of insider information. It, it wouldn't really make sense to divulge that. Or if you have a relationship with an owner, you don't really want that owner to use you as the go between with with another city. I get that. My one thing, and and I'm torn. I'm torn on it, right? But with Seattle, it's almost. I don't know if we should be combative with Seattle or Dual not. Dual pitch. Because Seattle's getting it, like I, yeah, I, I, I think that one's maybe, pretty much settled. maybe it is too too settled. Because I don't get how everyone says they were robbed of a team. They chose not to build an arena, yeah. so that was their own fault. Ultimately, that was their own fault for them losing that team. Is they didn't do the renovations, and you know Oklahoma City got luck, lucky with uh, with hurricane katrina and yeah they the, they, the, they were allowed to host games that that couldn't be played in other arenas yeah. for a while and it showed the nba the enthusiasm that city mm-hmm. had and that gave the out for the, the 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 seattle sonics but ultimately if they had put their pitch in if they had done the renovations to their arena they would have been fine yeah, and well, so, we but, also, we're facing two different Seattles. I think the Seattle of today is is a tech hub. You know, it's yeah. growing. It's a massive city, and there's tons of money there. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense, I think, more now than it did when they even had a team back yeah, in the '90s. Agreed. And it, it, so that, but I guess my point is like, should we just go in with Seattle and say, look, we know you're probably getting it. Let's try and pitch it east west together. That. But it's so hard. It's so hard to say. Like it's easy to say that, but it's hard. I think execution with that that's is the, more difficult. That's the only city that I think it would make sense with because yeah. they they seem guaranteed to get it. And if they are pushing for us, you know, if if they have a preference, then it might it might add to yeah. you know the the offer we're putting forward. But it seems it seems unlikely that yeah. That, I mean, he's, he pretty much wrote that one off. Well, but and like it, 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 I think it's a hard ask and a hard thing to execute as well, well and like so. coordinating that yeah th- there's a lot of problems there logistically yeah. well and so is is there anything else that you saw with with this that you think we need to bring up is there anything we're missing no i you know we 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 talked about scheduling uh dan didn't seem to think it'd be a problem and I, I'm, I'm with him on that you know mm-hmm. L uses the arena right now but there are other instances of of nba teams sharing arenas with ncaa teams and, and it doesn't seem to be a, a big issue yeah uh, I, I think them changing it to or to christmas day as their start date helps a little bit but i think the the dates that are really an issue would be the acc ones because yeah. there's just another entity to coordinate now like nba like two nba teams are coordinating with each other the acc is a little more difficult but i think that's just additional paperwork yeah no i, I mean it's I, just, I don't see it's, that it's as planning and logistics is not something that you can't overcome it's it's and we, we see it other teams struggle with this mm-hmm. but they manage it you know it's not it's not such a big issue i agree i agree but yeah that's pretty much it for me man i, I really enjoyed talking to him today yeah uh do you think we uh, when it's 2030 do you think we'll have an nba team Oh man, I I really hope so. You you know I really really hope so. Uh, I think we're setting up to make a really really strong pitch, mm-hmm. but I think it's going to be up to the NBA. Yeah, ultimately, and, and that's part of the thing that that's really depressing is that we had it in two thousand one when cities yeah. didn't want NBA teams. Yeah, and ultimately, some of the administration at the time had pushed back on we had a non-binding agreement with the with the hornets from charlotte and 
ultimately our administration decided that they wanted more out of that deal. And now that fell through. And now you look at every city, they're just begging for pro sports. Yeah. And we just, I mean, the appreciation and team value since 2001 is just, it's, I I don't think anybody could have seen it coming, you know, to the degree that it has, but it, yeah, that was in hindsight, not the best. Yeah. This city would be totally different today. Yeah, It would look different, but I, I think we'll have one by 2030. At least, at least that's my hope. So yeah, yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, but that was like I said, I was, that was a great interview with Dan, and I'm very glad he took the time to to be on our show. Yeah, definitely, man. Good talking to you today, Andrew. You too. As always, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for joining us on building this community. If you'd like any more information, you can follow us on Twitter at building this com c o m, or you can follow Andrew at Andrew J. Klump. And you can also follow Luke at LMP43. Definitely subscribe and we look forward to talking to you guys next week.